Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, March 11th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next hour and a half or so. It was over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me here as three guests join me on today's show we'll start things off with brad powers professional handicapper over at bradpowersports.com we're gonna talk a little bit of college football at the top of today's segment because hey that season's gonna be here before we know it only about five and a half months away now but we're primarily going to focus on college basketball with the conference tournaments in the pac-12 sec and the big 12 second guest today will be greg peterson from Beeson and the hooping with hoops podcast we're gonna talk about Conference tournaments already in action. Games going on today in the ACC, the MAAC, Conference USA, the Sun Belt, and take a look at the Patriot League Championship game between Boston University and Colgate. And then we'll wrap things up on today's show with Wes Reynolds of Beeson at Wes Reynolds and the number one on Twitter. We'll talk Big East, Big Ten, and the Players Championship this weekend at TPC Sawgrass. So plenty of stuff coming your way here today on this edition of Bang the Book Radio. Plenty of stuff over at bangthebook.com as well. My conference tournament previews for just about all of them, waiting on offshore odds for the Big West and the WAC. Those should be coming here this afternoon, and those previews will go up right away when those get posted. All my Major League Baseball stuff for the lead-up to the season available over there as well. Get the guide on Amazon, $4.99, or you can get it in PDF form for free over at bangthebook.com. And, of course, we're still covering soccer, tennis, golf, NASCAR, UFC. Uh, God knows what else we've got going on over at bangthebook.com. But it sure is a lot here during a very, very busy time of the year. Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio, presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook, BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino. At Bet DSI, it's only a game until you bet it. Three guests on the program here today. The leadoff hitter is Brad Powers, professional handicapper over at BradPowersSports.com. Brad, how's it going today, brother? It's going well. How are you doing on this fine uh, Wednesday? Very well, buddy. Appreciate your time as always. I'm going to throw you off for the rest of the week here because I know you usually join me on Thursdays when we talk college football in the NFL, but. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit of college football because five and a half months away from the start of the season, and I'm sure you're knee-deep in doing research already, taking a look at some of these teams. One of the things that you do like to use to your advantage is watching spring games, and all of a sudden with these coronavirus concerns, Cincinnati has canceled theirs, and I'm sure they won't be the only team to do it. Yeah, I mean, especially lately, uh, I mean, the last three, four years, you, you could get, you know, tape on, on 40 or 50 teams. And I get it. You know, a lot of people roll their eyes on spring games, but at least it's an early look at teams, particularly you can get an early look at, you know, the freshmen that have already enrolled. And, you know, if you need to, you know, replace the quarterback, you get your first look at a guy. Let's face it, you can't, you can't physically go to all these practices. So I do get a lot out of spring games. Uh, usually, 
Uh, it's just not that the game, if the announcers are really good, they'll kind of give you an inside depth of what's been going on all throughout spring practice. So it's a good little, I would say, syllabus uh, uh, slash cliff notes uh, in an hour and a half, two hours that you can get uh, on those 40 or 50 teams that usually televise it. But, I mean, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you the way things are going. Uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be 40 or 50 of them I'll be able to watch. Uh, and, uh, the, yeah, I, I'm all about taking precautions and whatnot, but it seems like uh, maybe some are going a little overboard. I, I don't want to get too much into politics, so my Twitter feed will get lit up. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. But, you know, it has to be discouraging for you because you've been very transparent about this, that, you know, you did well in the NFL last year, but you had a difficult college football season. It has to be discouraging because I know that you make that you have made a very, very uh, strong commitment to doing a lot of that preseason research here for college football, doing what you always do in terms of grabbing some season win totals, some games of the year lines, stuff like that. But I know that you kind of uh, wanted to wipe the slate clean, refocus yourself on college football, and then now you get this. And that's got to be pretty discouraging, especially considering that you know you kind of had this sort of mapped out, this sort of blueprint in your mind. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you got to be able to, to react to, to what's, uh, you know, the given variables given to you. But, yeah, I made some life changes to, to get ready for the upcoming football season. That's how – much serious uh, I, I am to get ready for this upcoming season. So it would be a shame if I can't properly get ahead of it. But uh, eh, it's all right. I'm not going to sit here and, and bitch and moan about it. Uh, I, I'll figure out ways to, to get after to get after it. Yeah, I know you definitely will. And uh, anything, you know, in your early research that you've picked up on, any uh, any brutal scheduling situations for teams or anything like that? You know, I tweeted about one that I thought was about as brutal as it gets, and it's uh, UL Monroe. So you, you got to like that, that you're going over uh, the Warhawks' uh, schedule uh, in late February, early March. But, I mean, here's something to, to keep in your back pocket. Uh, they get a bye UL, ULM in week two. So it's not like last year where almost every single team had two bye weeks. It's back to your traditional one team's got, you know, each team's got one bye week. So UL Monroe has a bye in week two. And then they play 11 straight games. That includes a stretch where Yule Monroe plays six road games in seven weeks. Six in seven weeks. I don't think I've, I've ever seen anything like that. So uh, let's just put it uh, this way. Not looking because of that uh, poor scheduling for, for Yule Monroe. Not looking like uh, I'm going to have an overseason win ticket uh, on the Warhawks this year. I love it. UL Monroe football getting some runtime here during conference tournament week on Bang the Book Radio. But again, important to think about these things because that's something that a lot of people will look to attack early in the win total betting process because, you know, schedule analysis is very, very important. So something for you to keep in mind, obviously, during the season. And I know we'll talk about it when we get to that point, uh, but especially here in this win total market, not that UL Monroe is going to have you know, any games of the year lines or anything like that. But this is a relatively solid program in the Sun Belt. They've, you know, had their ups and downs, obviously, like most of these teams have. But I know you mentioned this, that, you know, for the most part, I mean, they've been respectable. And now they run into a schedule where it may be difficult for them. Yeah, I mean, they've won at least four. They've been consistent, consistent in that four, five, six win type of uh, a program. They won at least four games in 15 in their last 16 seasons. So I'm anxious to see what, what the win total comes out at, uh, you know, four and a half, probably looking to bet under. Uh, but if it's already priced in, which it won't be, I mean, people aren't looking at the scheduling spot. 
Uh, if it's, you know, lower than that, and basically it does come down to numbers. And uh, again, don't be a prisoner of just marking <laughs> wins and losses on your, uh, uh, when you're doing the, your season win totals, actually figure out what the, the, the at least the, try to do a power rating and try to give like a win percent for each game. That That's the much more correct method of doing a season win total. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that comes out for them, but you're right. They've been consistent uh, and hopefully I, I get something that's a little bit out of that range, like a five and a half or so. Uh, th- that would be interesting to play the under. It, it'll make my card. Yeah. And that home game that they have in that stretch with six or seven on the road is Appalachian State, which is, you know, obviously no picnic uh, with how good the no. Mountaineers are year in and year out. But I mean, look, it's it's not that crazy to be talking about this stuff because you and I've discussed this a million times over. I've discussed it with other guests on the show that. I mean, the timelines are so accelerated. I don't know when we get season win totals, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be earlier than we ever have before. And that may end up meaning, you know, next month sometimes. So not a bad idea. If you get some free time, maybe you're not a baseball better. Like I know you're not a good opportunity to catch up a little bit on college football. Yeah. Last year, bet online, just one book offshore, but they released a lot of stuff the week of the NCAA tournament, the week of the first round, they released a lot of college football stuff. So, yeah, that that was early. As far as stateside, Jersey was the first last year. They released every single season win total end of May, which was similar to what South Point was doing for three, four years prior to that. Every single team by the end of May, you got to be ready to go. Well, and with Chris Andrews back in the fold now at South Point, now that his health is, is in a better spot, they probably do try to hit the market first this year, I think. So, Again, something that you want to keep in mind here. And I remember that now when, when we talked about, uh, you know, bet online posting those during the NCAA tournament. I remember you and I MFing them all over the place for doing that because no one's focused on that. And they do it on the busiest college basketball week of the year. I, I remember that now that you mentioned yeah. that we, we weren't pleased <laughs> to say the least. It makes, you know what, I've tamed my, uh, let's just say, enthusiasm <laughs> for being very, uh, kind of ticked off at that. And here's why it makes sense from a book. I mean, you got a lot of people that are betting. You get a lot of people that don't normally bet college basketball, but they usually bet college football. They're into the market. Why not hold their money up for, for an extra time period? So I, you got new signups trying to get extra money. So uh, yeah, it's not ideal for a guy like myself, but I understood why they did it. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And uh, I guess with that, we'll transition over to the college basketball side of things here. Because, again, that's just what everybody's talking about here with Conference Tournament Week. And we're going to hit on a few of the major ones here, including one that starts today out there in Las Vegas at T-Mobile Arena, 3 o'clock Eastern time. The first game, obviously, that's 12 o'clock local time. Utah and Oregon State starts things off there in the Pac-12. But Oregon's your favorite. Arizona is your second favorite but they've really underachieved based on the yep. talent that they have there for this season. Then you've got a lot of maybe, I guess they call them sort of interchangeable teams. I think Colorado's pretty good. I think plus 475 is a bad price for them as a six seed playing the extra game. UCLA and USC, we were watching them when I was out there a couple weeks ago. They've come out strong here late in the year. Overall impressions here of, of the Pac-12 and maybe a team that you kind of like from a future standpoint. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it's wide open tournament. I mean, any any one of six, seven teams, in my opinion, they could win it. And I mean, if you're looking for the longest of long shots, I mean, your 12 seed Washington is a very dangerous team. 
in the opening game against Arizona uh, today. I know they're sitting right around a four, four and a half point underdog in that one, but they just got done beating Arizona not too long ago. So that's a dangerous Washington team, the 12 seed. Uh, Oregon's been really good, at least from a consistency aspect when it comes to how they perform in the Pac-12 tournament. I like looking at that, how do coaches do uh, you know, in conference tournaments, does it mean something to them? They are the one seed, but I don't see a tremendous amount of value there. Why not go with the hottest team? I mean, they did lose by two against USC that stopped their seven-game winning streak, but they're still playing their best ball this season. And I really like Mick Cronin and that their fan base should travel relatively well here. Uh, UCLA is a team that, that obviously needs a couple of wins if they want to get off the bubble here. Eight to one, I don't think that's a tremendous amount of value, uh, but uh, they would be a certain, I don't even think a sleeper pick, but wouldn't be a bit surprised if the Bruins cut down the nets. Well, I think that's a good, a couple of good questions, a couple of good talking points coming out of what you said there. First, I want to talk specifically about team performance, and second, we'll talk about something that's very real, but maybe kind of a narrative-based thing. As far as team performance goes, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the full body of work? Are you looking at all of conference play? Or are you maybe looking Ooh. at you know how teams finished up the season? Great question. Uh, I'd probably like to look more at how teams finished up the season. And I'll use a team from the Pac-12, specifically last year. Oregon, if you remember, really started it. They switched their lineup up uh, a little bit to a smaller uh, lineup. Uh, they started playing elite-level defense at the end of the regular season, carried right over in the Pac-12 tournament where they ended up winning it, and, and then gave Virginia a run for their money in the NCAA tournament after Oregon won a couple games there. So I usually like to, to, to play on the teams that the light bulb kind of went on for them. Uh, maybe didn't have a necessarily a good start to the conference or, or didn't necessarily have a good non-conference portion of their schedule. Uh, yeah, teams, I, I, I know we're taught more data points is better, uh, but I, I'd rather ride the hot hand at this point. And, and that's an interesting question, you know, because obviously a lot of people look at conference play numbers because the non-conference schedules are just kind of all over the place. But, I mean, look, conference play started over two months ago. And in some cases, you know, some of these teams played December conference games like the Big Ten. Hell, the ACC played, you know, a conference opener all the way back in October yeah. or no, well, all the way back in November. So, yeah, things change over the course of, you know, eight, nine weeks in college basketball. So, that's something that you definitely want to take a look at, I think, is, you know, how these teams did recently, in particular teams with maybe first or second year head coaches like a UCLA. We knew it would take time for Mick Cronin to figure that thing out. They're playing a very different style of basketball than they previously did. Late in the year here, they played very, very well, were hot. And as you mentioned, maybe you ride that hot hand a little bit, you know, in particular, of course, with the fact that you know, they draw a pretty decent seed line here to the point where, you know, they're not playing one of these early games. They're kind of getting potentially one of the weaker teams to advance out of the first round. So yeah. I definitely agree with your thoughts on that. The other point that you mentioned, UCLA and fan support. And obviously, there are some conference tournaments, the MAC and the Big West, that will be played in empty arenas, which is obviously a very, very strange situation. But we think about trying to apply home court advantage as much as we can to these neutral site venues how does this whole, you know, coronavirus thing sort of impact your thoughts on that to where maybe maybe a team like Kansas and Kansas City now has all the fans as opposed to, you know, something gets a little bit more spread out. Maybe UCLA a lot more represented here than any other team they were going to be anyway, but maybe more so now. 
Great question. I, you know, I, it depends. And also, I mean, I, again, don't want to get into politics, but uh, West Coast very left-leaning. If the fan base is not going to be, you know, willing to, to travel, it'd probably be some of these Pac-12 schools, uh, considering just the, the, the way that they lean on the political spectrum. So, I, you know what, uh, you're right. You bringing up the Kansas thing, I, I think is something that, that's certainly possible, although I think Midwest values – I think team, uh, fan bases are probably a little bit less cautious. Let's just put it that way. And I'm going to be very delicate with my words again here. But uh, that's something that I it's going to have to be, you know, I'm going to have to almost flip on the the, the, the TV and, and see what it actually looks like and then go, go ahead and start betting it in-game because it's almost impossible to handicap prior. No, that's an excellent point. And I think it kind of feeds into taking a look at a conference tournament like the SEC, because the SEC conference tournament is in Nashville. That one starts tonight, 7 o'clock Eastern time, the first game between Georgia and Ole Miss. Nashville's a tourist destination, man. Yep. You know, everybody gets excited to be there. I was actually there the weekend of the conference tournament last year. Saw a lot of Kentucky stuff, which is not a big surprise. Saw a decent bit of Tennessee stuff as well. Again, not a big surprise. Saw more Auburn stuff than I expected to, but, you know, Auburn last year, very, very good team this year, a solid team, but maybe not as good as they were last year. When you look at the SEC futures market here, Kentucky here plus 235 favorite, Auburn 325. LSU's gotten some love this week. It seems now a little bit higher than five to one. Florida's about six to one. Mississippi State, eight to one. And then big double digit numbers on down from there. I mean, it, this thing is Kentucky's to lose because it generally yeah. is year in and year out, but. I mean, who challenges the Wildcats? Ooh, great question. Ah, uh, the team that probably cha- you know they don't get a good draw though because they, they they don't get the, you know an extra buy. The Florida Gators who fell to a five seed, I think, are are relatively dangerous. I wouldn't be a bit surprised Florida can win at least a couple games. You know, beat the winner of Ole Miss, Georgia, and then beat Mississippi State. That would be a team. You know, I think Auburn's overrated. I really do. Uh, it's a team that that. You know, had a stretch where, uh, I mean, in a five-game stretch, they played four overtime games and won all four. I think Auburn is the two seeds overrated. But, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to, you know, break barriers here and, and come up with some fantastic long shot. I think Kentucky deserves to be the favorite. I'll be relatively surprised if Kentucky doesn't cut down the nets. They're the best team. They've had basically one bad half against Tennessee down the stretch of the season here. They're playing their best ball this season. They'll have the fan support. I mean, if you look historically, since, you know, Patino got the, the program back the right path in the early 90s, Kentucky in the SEC tournament is about as dominant as any team in any conference tournament across the, the countries. And that's not only straight up, that's also against the spread, specifically in the semifinals and the championship game. Uh, Kentucky's going to win it, in my opinion. Well, of course, I know you like to look at that luck metric over at Ken Pomeroy's website. Auburn, according to that metric, the seventh luckiest team in college basketball this year. By the way, Texas A&M is 10th. So maybe Texas A&M could be a fade team there in that game against Missouri coming up uh, on Thursday night. But, you know, it's tough. I mean, Nashville, again, like I said, tourist destination. I would say it's an intimate setting in a lot of those small bars where they're just packed to the gills. I'm kind of curious to see how all the dynamics play out there, especially you know, because you generally do get a good showing from a lot of the fan bases, but 
maybe it is largely Kentucky that travels here. So maybe their home court edge even expands a little bit more there. There are a couple of teams I want to ask you about. Unfortunately, they play each other in the second round, and then the winner would play Kentucky. Tennessee and Alabama. And Alabama is the one that I kind of focused on in particular because I want to get your thoughts on this as far as major conference tournaments go. Alabama has upside. They have a ceiling. They can score a ton of points. They push the pace. They make you uncomfortable. They shoot a shit ton of threes. That's kind of a team that you sort of want to take a look at in this higher variance conference tournament environment. On the other hand, if they shoot bad in one game, they're done. And if it's the first game, they don't get you anywhere from a future standpoint. So in terms of teams that maybe you take a look at to sort of throw some chaos and upset the apple cart a little bit, do you want a team that's really good on defense or do you want that really good, possibly high variance offense? Oh, wow. Uh, tough question. To me, I'd probably prefer the defense because I just think it travels better and you're, you're at a neutral site. You're away from home. I like more consistency. I, I like to prefer, when I look at the conference tournaments, I prefer to look at how teams perform to expectation as far as their road record and their neutral site record already this season. So, I mean, if blindly, if I had to play on anything, I'd probably play on the more consistent team defensively than the offensive team. But, again, that's what makes college basketball, at least this year, uh, you know, a little bit tougher. I think the variances uh, are more this year. And particularly, you know, you look at three-point shooting. They moved it back this year. And you have uh, – this is across the country. Teams are only making about 33% of their shots. It's down more than a percent from last year. And it's the worst – ever since they instituted the three-point line back in 1987, but yet teams are still shooting the second most amount of three-pointers ever. So you're still chucking them up there, but you're just not making them. That creates higher variance. So I could see you saying that if Alabama gets hot, there's certainly a team that's dangerous. But again, I, I give me consistency right now because you, you got to have consistency to do it three, you know, three times in three days. Give me the team that can play defense. Well, and that's an important thing, you know, consistency. And, and sometimes that comes down to depth, too. So, yeah, follow-up question good here point. with regards to the SEC tournament. And obviously, we can talk about this, you know, with the next conference tournament as well, the Big 12. But that's a little bit smaller of a field. You've got to win probably four games in four days if you're going to win this, you know, as one of the teams that's not a top seed. I don't think the bottom four seeds can win five and five. But, you know, you get the top four into the quarterfinals. They still have to win three games in three days. So, this back-to-back angle, which is unique to conference tournaments and those, you know, early season showcase tournaments in November and you know, around Thanksgiving, stuff like that. How does that factor into your handicap with these back-to-back-to-back environments? Uh, so there's another thing that you can use, Ken Palm, and I use this as the conference tournaments go on. He's got, uh, you know, a bench rating, which, you know, analyzes how much do you utilize your bench as far as the percentage of minutes. And certainly when you're into those teams playing, you know, three games in three days, four games in four days or whatnot, or you get a team that, that plays a multiple overtime game, has to play the next week. What, what are teams that, that I'm looking to fade? Certainly the ones that don't utilize the bench a, a, as much. And those teams, you know, some of the major conference teams, you know, Syracuse is a team that doesn't use much, uh, you know, their bench. Maryland doesn't use much of their bench. Villanova, Creighton, uh, a lot of those teams don't. Meanwhile, the teams that, that it's advantageous for that, that use their bench, like a West Virginia, uh, a team that, that's performed quite well in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, the team likes to press, 
uh, teams have tired legs and West Virginia can throw eight, nine, 10 guys at your way on a night in and night out basis. So uh, I, I look at that metric specifically to try the more than any other time uh, during the course of a season, Ken Palm's uh, bench minutes. Other thing then, as far as the back-to-backs go, blowouts. Because, I mean, we get them. You know, yeah. we, we get teams that are able to take a foot off the gas, kind of rest some guys, stuff like that. We also get teams that, you know, kind of roll over and die, and then they wind up, you know, getting blown out here in this conference tournament setting. But teams coming off of a big win. Now, I think as a general rule, and I don't have any data to back this up. I wish I did. Wish we had Ralph Michaels here to uh, look stuff up for us on the fly there in that Killer Sports database. But as a general rule, a lot of people would say, okay, a blowout win is a positive because you don't have to play out the whole game. You know, you can let your starters play 26, 27 minutes. They're okay to bounce back. On the flip side, maybe some complacency can set in a little bit. You get out of your normal rhythm. You get out of what got you that big lead in the first place. Maybe that has a carryover effect to the next game. I'm going to take away the case-by-case basis answer because I know that's where you were going to go. But <laughs> what do you do primarily? You know, what so- what way do you sort of lean when you get a blowout? Are you looking to play on that team again? Or are you fearful of that slow start? Probably more against that team. Uh, maybe a, a, a sense of overconfidence. And let's face it, public gets involved more than any other time during college basketball. They're itching to bet. And if they see a team won the night before by 30 points, they physically watch the game. All these games are televised. Uh, they're they're going to be more prone to bet on that team. So I think you're paying a premium. So if you're asking me blindly, what, what do I want to do, play on or against? Probably against. All right. So let's talk Big 12 here. You mentioned West Virginia, a team that generally makes some runs. In this conference tournament, I do like them at 7-1. to one. I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there right away. But Kansas, your favorite, minus 125. And look, Kansas only lost one of their 18 conference games. Baylor, the two-seed here, 15-3 and three in conference play, plus 270 for them. Now, they do get a tough draw on the bottom of this bracket in the sense that they probably wind up playing you know, a TCU team that played very well against them, a West Virginia team that's very good in this conference tournament. But Kansas here does draw the winner of Texas and Texas Tech, which is no picnic either. No. I get why Kansas is the favorite, but, I mean, a a minus 125 favorite, there's got to be value on somebody else, right? Yeah, I'd probably look more towards West Virginia, although not particularly thrilled with their draw, but certainly a sixth seed that, uh, you know, (laughs) could easily beat anybody on any given night. And they just proved it by by beating Baylor uh, over the weekend. So it was a West Virginia team that, has to have a new, you know, sense of confidence after <laughs> they didn't play very well there for, for, for quite a bit of time there in the month of February, losing six out of seven games, but finally getting back on track with a big win over Baylor. I, I would say that's the team I'm looking, but again, I know it's boring. Doesn't make for good radio. I, I again, it'll come down to matchups and, and, and a game in and game out basis. But if you're looking to bet a future, sure. Why, why not? A little pizza money on West Virginia. I got to say, man, I, you know, I wonder about a team like Texas Tech. And this is another question that we get in conference tournaments where a lot of people do like to play on these teams, both ATS and also from a future standpoint that didn't really live up to expectations. And if you look at somewhere like Bart Torvik's website, barttorvik.com, Texas Tech is a top 25 team. They're the number 22 team in the country for him. They went nine and nine in conference play. And they don't have Jarrett Culver. They don't have that scorer like they had, uh, you know, last year and two years ago. 
They lost four in a row down the stretch coming into the tournament, but they lost by three in overtime at Baylor and by yeah. four against Kansas. This, These are always interesting teams to me because you have an elite head coach in Chris Beard. You've got that defense travels kind of team like we've already talked about. They get a tough draw against the Texas team that's got a high sense of urgency, and then Kansas if they beat the Longhorns. These are the types of teams that give me a real hard time because I want to find ways to play them, but it's tough. You know, you either don't get a futures price or you don't get the right draw. <laughs> Good point there. Uh, and usually, come on, if you're betting futures, I mean, there's a reason why the hold on them is 30, 40 percent for the books. You're usually more often than not, not getting a deal on those. Uh, and you're certainly, I don't think, getting a, a great deal with Texas Tech because they just got a really bad draw. Texas playing some of their best basketball of the season, and then you got Kansas. I just don't see the path for Texas Tech to, to win this. I mean, kudos if they do. I mean, that'll be uh, an incredible run for them. But a lot of it comes down to the draw and where you can see these teams, you know, you can find a path for them. To me, if you're looking to bet any future, uh, start with the team that, that's hot playing their best basketball season and what kind of draw do they get? Can you see the path for them uh, to, to, to get a favorable draw, favorable matchups? moving forward but then again that can get thrown out the window by one little upset uh or, or whatnot so again i'm not a believe it or not adam i'm not a big futures guy when it comes to the college basketball in these tournaments no that's fair and, and i think in a lot of cases a money line rollover is going to be the way to go absolutely that's the way to go and, and especially i think if you like texas tech i mean obviously a money line rollover winds up being a little bit difficult because as i look out there in the market they're a five and a half point favorite against texas uh, in that first game. So they're going to be a pretty substantial money line favorite in that game. If you like them, maybe you start the money line rollover with that Kansas game, roll it over into the Baylor game. If you do like them, that's probably going to be somewhere around that, you know, plus 650 price tag anyway. But that's always interesting too. reading the context of the market in that look, Texas is, according to some people, a bubble team. You know, maybe they get in, maybe they don't, maybe they need this game against Texas Tech to get in. Torvik has that line minus four and a half. I'm sure Ken Palm's in the same place. The market has the lower seed, Texas Tech, minus five and a half, minus six. To me, that tells you something about both Texas and Texas Tech. And sometimes you can get some cheap ATS winners if you just kind of read the signs that are out there in the betting market. Yeah, that would be a good point. Where we're the lower seed. And you find this always during the regular season, the unranked team that's favored over the ranked team. Uh, it is a profitable system. Yeah, you get those context clues. Uh, no, no question about it. Uh, one thing I, I, I do want to stress home, be very wary of, betting on the bubble teams, the teams that have been inconsistent because that's why they're on the bubble. They've been inconsistent. And now they're in a high-pressure situation where they have to win a game or two to, to make their way onto the NCAA, get, getting an at-large berth. A lot of extra pressure, but yet people want to bet on that team creating a premium. So, that's one point I want to drill home here, uh, and certainly both, specifically Texas, you got to be very careful. I don't think you're necessarily paying a premium on the Longhorns, but just to throw out a team as we're taping this on, on Wednesday, like Xavier, a team that probably needs to win at least a game or two in the Big East, a lot of money cut pouring in on Xavier. Be very If you want to bet on the bubble team, do it as early as possible because the whole world wants to bet on them, and uh, I don't think you win money long-term betting you know, an hour before tip on the bubble team. 
No, that's an excellent point. Again, they're in a must-win situation for a reason. You know, the if you're a good team, your must-win situation is like a conference title or yeah. you know a division title or or the World Series or the Finals or or so. That's your must-win spot. You know, if your must-win spot is just to get to being one of the you know 68 teams that makes the NCAA tournament, you know, you're probably not very good, at least not in a relative sense. Yeah. So. That is a very, very excellent point there. Among a lot of excellent points made on today's segment with Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. Brad, what's going on over at the website right now, man? Two things. Football newsletter, 79 bucks. Spring football newsletter comes out next week. So you can check that out at bradpowersports.com. March Madness VIP service, 99 bucks. Check that out at bradpowersports.com. And, of course, something else we didn't even touch on that I know that you're going to do over at the website, NITCBICIT. The better betting opportunities are in those as opposed to the NCAA tournament. Oh, absolutely, because you get to those tournaments where people, a lot of people are excited to be there, uh, and then other teams not so much. Everyone's excited to be in the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. So definitely be on the lookout for that over at bradpowersports.com. And, of course, make sure you follow Brad on Twitter, at bradpowers and the number seven. Brad, a pleasure as always, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. There you go, everybody. There's Brad Powers, once again, professional handicapper over at bradpowersports.com, at Brad Powers and the number seven on Twitter. All right, so we go from Brad Powers to Greg Peterson of VEASAN and the Hooping with Hoops podcast at GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter. Greg, how's it going today, man? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me, my friend. Absolutely. Glad to get you back on the program here. We're going to talk some games in the ACC, MAAC, Conference USA, Sunbelt, and the Patriot League. We're going to go rapid fire with those here for this Wednesday slate. But before we get into that, you and I were having an interesting little discussion before we started recording here about some of the implications of these empty venues for the Big West Conference Tournament, as well as the MAC Conference Tournament, and quite frankly, some of the regionals next week for March Madness could wind up being played in empty arenas as well. And all of us are sort of trying to figure out how to handle this. What's your take on the whole thing? I think it could actually help to the over just because you have absolutely no noise whatsoever that's going to hamper these teams. I know that you're going to have a little bit of a different backdrop. I think that actually helps a little bit. And free throw shooting is huge too because you need all the focus in the world when it comes to free throw shooting. There's no easier time to shoot free throws than when you're in an empty venue. So I actually am going to argue that this helps out a little bit more with overs and unders personally, because I know that I personally, whenever I play my best basketball, it's when I was just playing against some of my buddies in a scrimmage. Meanwhile, when I got out there on the middle school floor, because I wound up leaving college or I wound up not playing any more basketball after the eighth grade, because I retired due to a lack of talent. When I did my worst play, that would be whenever I was out there playing in actual games rather than when I was in closed-door scrimmages. So the question is, do you feel like that's a contrarian point of view? I mean, I personally think the Big West and the MAC Tolas are going to get hit down because these are games being played in very, very big you know, professional sports venues. I feel like those totals probably get bet down. So what, what are you going to do at the outset here? I mean, are you going to... Are you going to expect that you're on a contrarian side and wait for these totals to come down and then get them when they bottom out? Or do you think a lot of people will be along the same lines as you thinking it helps the over and you may hit some of these totals a little bit quicker? Honestly, I think this is uncharted territory. This is one in which we're going to have to see what happens the first day because I can't remember the last time we've seen just 
a college basketball game played in a completely empty venue in which you're supposed to have like 20,000 people. So it is a very interesting spot there. I will say this. How many people do the Big West typically draw? Because you were talking about that being a huge building. There just aren't a lot of people there in general to start with. And there are some of these teams and some of these conferences that they play before a very small crowd anyway. So I do think that it's going to be a little bit interesting. I think there might be a couple people that might be on the under, but it's just one of these things where we've never seen it before, so I don't even know what to expect. Well, I guess we'll kind of see how this whole dynamic plays out here uh, this week. And then, like I said, you know, potentially uh, in a much bigger deal next week. But we did have over 13,000 people last night for the opening two games at the ACC tournament in Greensboro, although maybe that was paid attendance more than anything. I guess we'll have to check and see what those games look like tonight. But a couple of games going off tonight. Games actually have already started while we're recording this here uh, on Wednesday afternoon, Clemson and Miami already underway. But the two late games in the ACC tonight, Notre Dame and Boston College. These two teams did not play last night. Right now, you look out there in the marketplace, Notre Dame, nine and a half point favorite here against Boston College. What do you think about that one down in Greensboro? I think that this is a little bit too overinflated because keep in mind with Boston College, they are going to be without Nick Popovich in this game. But Nick Popovich, the last time these two teams played in what was a one-point game, Scored as many points as myself. So I do think that that's a little bit of an interesting parallel there with this Notre Dame team. You're going to have the best rebounder out there in John Mooney. He leads all power five players with regards to rebounds per game. That would be 12 and a half per contest. As we know, Notre Dame does a very good job of being able to take care of the ball. But with Boston College, towards the end of the year, they began to play a little bit of better basketball because they were dealing with so many injuries earlier in the year. I do think that, that is something that you do want to take note of. And this is a Notre Dame team that they just seem to play in a variety of different styles. They were really playing fast towards like late January, early February. They've downshifted a little bit ever since then. 73 points of fear in each of their last four games. So I think that there's a fighter's chance that Boston College is able to stay within single digits and keep this one close. Uh, the other game in the ACC tournament tonight, North Carolina. And, and we knew that a lot was expected of North Carolina because – Let's be honest, they were a 14 seed, and some places had them going off at 12-1 to 1 to win this conference tournament. So this is the last stand for the Tar Heels, who obviously did not have a very good season, did miss Cole Anthony while he was hurt. Tonight they take on Syracuse, so they go play that matchup zone after having all kinds of success offensively against Virginia Tech last night. Similar situation, the line opened two, two and a half. It's been bet up to three, seeing some three and a halves out there now as well. Does North Carolina have as much success tonight against Syracuse in advance? I do think so, because you mentioned the fact that they're playing against his own, but Syracuse hasn't had much success playing defense at all this year. Let's be honest here. I think that they have given up 69 points or more in pretty much eight out of their last nine games, so it has not went well for them there. And for UNC, they're finally starting to play some good basketball, at least 76 points in each of their last five games. With North Carolina, last time these two teams played, they hammered Syracuse. They were able to get to 90 points. I do think it's going to be a little bit tougher because you obviously are playing in a neutral court venue out there in Greensboro. But with that said, how about Garrison Brooks? 20-plus points in each out of North Carolina's last seven games. I like what he's able to bring to the table. And with Syracuse, this is just a bunch that they don't necessarily have a lot of depth. 
They've really been having to go to a little bit more of a sixth-man rotation. You do have Barumba Sabidi. He's able to give you a couple of rebounds. But I do think the North Carolina, once again, going to be able to get the job done here. Though I will say, I was getting a lot of questions with regards to North Carolina futures as well. If you really want to value with regards to North Carolina, you don't take that futures number. What you do is what I would like to call just a money line parlay, a rolling parlay where you put one unit on the money line game one and you just keep rolling it over. And that way, if you wind up getting a matchup that you don't like with North Carolina or something like that, you're able to tap out and let's face it, payout is going to be better anyway. Again, I mean, if any of our listeners take anything away from these conference tournament shows we've been doing, it's the money line rollover. All of our guests have talked about it. We've talked about it a ton. That price is going to be better for you than the futures market in probably 90 to 95 percent of the cases. So if there's anything you take away heading into these remaining conference tournaments or next year's conference tournaments, make sure that it is that money line rollover. Greg, we transition over to the MAAC now, the Metro Atlanta. Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, new conference tournament venue for this one. It had been played in Albany. Now it moves to Atlantic City. Three games last night, three games under the total, three games that didn't really scare the number at any point in time either. Tonight we've got Siena and Manhattan. Siena, the number one seed in this conference tournament. Manhattan went like an hour and a half without scoring last night and still won the game comfortably over Fairfield. But Siena's a six and a half point favorite tonight. Yeah, this is really interesting because it's not like Siena necessarily lit the world on fire with regards to their record. This is a bunch that they're obviously going to have the best player out there on the floor in Jalen Pickett. He's able to give this team a little bit under 15 and a half points. She's nearly 40% from three, six assists to two turnovers. But with Manhattan, the big key for them, being able to hold up on the glass. The Kai Kareem, Polly Polkap, they give you a combined 12 rebounds per game. Last time these two teams played, Siena was able to take it to Manhattan. They were able to get a double-digit win. And Siena comes in strong, winners of each out of their last nine games. But I do like the way that Manhattan has been able to play in general. The big key for Manhattan, free throw shooting because they have been so poor at the line. But we saw it the first time these two teams played. Manhattan was able to get to 81 points in that game. They were able to overcome Siena shooting 12 of 22 from three-point range. Big key for Manhattan, just being able to hold up at the point of attack. Maybe try to force a couple turnovers. I do think the Manhattan has a chance to be able to stay within this number. Now, like I said, this is a new conference tournament venue. So does it help you to take the Manhattan side because they played a game, got a lay of the land, got to feel a little bit more comfortable out there? Or does that just not matter to you? This is one in which it doesn't necessarily do a whole lot for me because either way, it's going to be a neutral court. I think that this is a spot in which it's – Something where maybe Manhattan benefits a little bit more, not because of the venue, but just because they now have a game under their belt in general, because that typically can help out some of these teams in conference tournaments in general. And with Manhattan, they just play at a fast pace to begin with. So I do think that that's big as well. All right. So the other game tonight in the MAAC, a little bit of a late tip off here, Iona and St. Peter's. Iona's made this conference tournament final seven years in a row, eight of the last nine Kind of a running joke out there going into this conference tournament that they would find a way to get into the title game here somehow, which would mean beating St. Peter's tonight. The Peacocks are a small favorite of two and a half, but they take out an Iona team that just has a reputation in this conference tournament. Yeah, but keep in mind with Iona, the big thing with this year's team is just the coaching situation in general. Tim Clues dealing with all of his health issues. 
that has certainly helped hampered this bunch. So you're just not getting the same Iona team that you have in the past. Meanwhile, St. Peter's, this is a bunch that they actually played against Iona just about a week or so ago. They were able to get that win by kind of 68 to 65. This is a St. Peter's team of which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. They don't have a single guy that averages more than nine points per game, but Casey Undefu, guy that is able to give you right around two blocks per game. Doug Egger shoots over 40% from three. Asan Drame, five rebounds per game. Matthew B is able to give you a couple of assists. List goes on and on. St. Peter's doesn't necessarily have that one-star player, but they just get contributions from a little bit of everyone. And then for Iona, last time these two teams played, they weren't able to res- really do a great job of being able to take care of the ball because in that game, you had 21 turnovers from Iona. This is a team that sometimes they go a little bit too fast for their own good, and then when they slow things down, they just appear to be out of their element. I contribute that a lot to coaching in general. I think that St. Peter's going to be able to take it to Iona once again on a tight line. All right, so we go down to Conference USA here, and, and this is easily the weirdest of the conference tournaments. Two games going on at the same time. As far as Eastern time start times go, 7 and 7.30, 9.30 and 10. This is a football practice facility. Games going on on court A and court B at the same time. And as crazy as it is, the lines for tonight's game, Old Dominion minus 2.5 over FAU, FIU, Florida International minus 2 against Rice, UAB minus two and a half against UTSA Marshall minus two and a half against UTEP. So all of these games virtually lined in the same range, the two games going on at the same time. I mean, is, is this one of the harder conference tournaments for you to handicap? It would be, but at the same time, we've seen it time and time again from this conference. It's not like these teams are seeing this for the first time ever. And what I think is so fascinating is that, you often have seen a lot of upsets in this conference tournament because we remember with Middle Tennessee, looked like they were going to be representing the Conference USA in the NCAA tournament a few years ago. They wind up losing because it was just a strange situation in general. I think that was back in the 2017-18 season, which they lost to Mississippi or Southern Miss as about a 10-point favorite. So I do think that this helps out the underdog a little bit just because There is a lot of chaos going around, but with that said, I do think that this is going to be a very interesting spot, to say the least. And sometimes when you go a little bit more up-tempo, perhaps that maybe just takes a little bit more out of the other team in general as well, just because there is a whole lot going on. And when you add in there the element of being able to go very fast, it can leave the other team in a little bit of disarray. So speaking of these four games, like I said, Florida Atlantic, Old Dominion, Rice, FIU, UTSA, UAB. UTEP and Marshall, I know you play side and total on every game. You say that you don't necessarily like one game more than another, but is there kind of a game or two here in Conference USA tonight that, you know, you, you've really had your eye on? I have my eye on all four. I wanted to blame the points with Old Dominion, laid the points with Florida International, wound up taking UTSA on the money line. And I was looking at UTEP at first, but this is a UTEP team that it looks like about half their team is banged up right now. They're playing with a bunch of guys that, they're not at 100%. They're going up against a Marshall team in which they do a great job of being able to pickpocket. So I wound up taking three of the four favorites in the spot. And with UTEP, you do certainly have Bryson Williams who does a good job. But with that said, when you're going up against a Marshall team that does one of the best jobs in the country of being able to generate turnovers with that short of a rotation right now, they've only been going about seven deep, makes it really a horse apiece situation. All right, so we go to the Sunbelt Conference here where the quarterfinals remain on campus sites beginning Saturday 
The tournament shifts to New Orleans to play at the Smoothie King Center, which is where the uh, New Orleans Pelicans play. But we're on campus sites tonight, and so far, four pretty competitive games here in this conference tournament. Louisiana beat Arkansas State by seven. Coastal Carolina with an upset over UT Arlington by a point. Georgia Southern beat Louisiana by a point. And then Appalachian State beating Coastal Carolina on Monday night. So we get 5-4-6-3 in kind of a roundabout sort of way here, though. Georgia Southern on the road at Georgia State tonight. Georgia State laying five. I happen to like Georgia State to win this conference tournament, actually. What do you think about their chances tonight? I think that this is going to be an interesting spot because I wound up playing the points here with Georgia State. They are coming off a loss last time these two teams played. The big key for Georgia State is just being able to hold up on the glass. We saw them make the NCAA tournament last year. Obviously, they underwent a coaching change during the offseason last year. But with Georgia State, what you've got is a lot of veteran leadership in the backcourt. And that starts with Kane Williams, the guy that's able to give you right around four and a half assists, 14 and a half points per game. I like what he's able to bring to the table. And for Georgia Southern, with regards to three-point shooting, rate the percentage of your shots that you take from three. One of the lesser teams out there in college basketball. And this is a Georgia Southern team that they've been playing just a mismatch of different styles. They've been able to get to 75-plus in each other the last four games. But prior to that, they had been downshifting. I feel like Georgia State is actually going to be out for revenge in this spot, being that they are playing on their home campus. I think that that is big as well. And the big key for Georgia State is just being able to see a couple of those threes go into the basket because this is a team that I feel like they're the most hot and cold out there in the Sun Belt. But I do like what they've done with bringing Corey Allen off the bench, and he's been able to give this team some solid production. Texas State a seven-point favorite over Appalachian State here in the other quarterfinals matchup. And in fact, Texas State, as a three-seed, was the conference tournament favorite here. So what do you think about the Bobcats laying a touchdown this evening? I think that the Bobcats have a good chance to be able to win this game outright, no question. I felt like seven was a little bit too high. At five, I would have probably been in on the Bobcats with Appalachian State. This is a team that actually is getting a little bit of something out of the backcourt. you got to like the fact that Justin Forrest has been able to give this team right in the neighborhood of about 17 or so points per game. But how about the way that Isaac Johnson has been performing down low? For the year, he gives the team a little bit over seven rebounds. This is a Texas State team that they aren't going to be able to match up with that. You do have a guy in Isaiah Small that's able to give you six and a half rebounds per game, but with Johnson as well. This is a guy that is coming off scoring at least 13 points in each other team's last four games. He's had 10-plus rebounds in three out of those four as well. Has done a good job of being able to stay out of foul trouble. With him being able to control the paint in a game that I think is going to be slowed down because Texas State they're one of the best teams with regards to defensive efficiency that you're going to find in a mid-major. I think that Appalachian State should be able to hold in this game. One last thing I want to ask you about with regards to the Sun Belt here. The semifinals on Saturday. We don't know who Little Rock and South Alabama will be playing, but we do know that Little Rock and South Alabama will be coming off of an 11-day layoff. That's a long time not to play in college basketball, especially not around a holiday or anything like that. Does that worry you about Little Rock and South Alabama on Saturday? It does a little bit, but the big thing is the total because I still remember, I think it was two years ago, the Sun Belt final was a game in which neither team got to 50 points. I think a big result of that is because you did have such a big layoff. You had a bunch of teams that they were not necessarily fresh. Keep in mind, the Sun Belt tournament wound up starting last week for some of these teams as well. I mean, Appalachian State has already had a game under their belt along with Georgia Southern. So I think that just these long layoffs in general affect these teams. I think it affects them 
a little bit of both ways. Obviously, the longer layoff is going to give you a little bit more of a buffer period. But with that said, I do think that this is a spot in which both these teams are going to be affected quite a bit. And I think it does lend itself to a little bit more of an underfest. All right, we had several teams punch their tickets to the NCAA tournament last night. One team will do it tonight uh, outside of taking away, you know, the bubble teams. But one team will win an auto bid tonight. That one coming from the Patriot League. Boston University takes on Colgate. This one on Colgate's campus in the championship game. And Colgate is a seven-point favorite tonight. Do they win the bid and do they cover the number? I think that Colgate should be able to win this game outright. I just can't wind up laying this many points. This is a Boston University team that they've got Walter White. No, not the guy from Breaking Bad, but rather someone that has been playing some of his best basketball of the year, at least 10 points, and now eight out of the team's last 10 games. Max Mahoney, arguably one of the best low post presents that you're going to find in college basketball with regards to the Patriot League. He's able to give the team 15 and a half points, seven rebounds. I like the way that he's able to hold up. Now with Boston University, you do have some free throw wolves, but with Colgate, Yvonne Rivakanusis just has not been shooting threes the way that he did last year. Last year, at right around six foot nine, six foot ten, shot over forty percent from three. This year, that has shrunk by over ten percent. I do think that this is a spot at which Boston University, a team that has given up seventy-one points or fewer in all but one of their games ever since the beginning of February, is going to slow this game down. They're going to keep themselves in it. I don't think they're going to be able to pull it off outright because their free throw shooting is not necessarily the best, but. I think that seven is a little bit too rich for my blood here in what is going to be a game that decides who goes to the NCAA tournament. Greg Peterson, who you can hear on VEASAN and in the Hoopin' with Hoops podcast. Greg, what's the best way for people to find everything that you do? Right on Twitter, at GUNRSCORDY1. I post up the link to the podcast every day. And for the Hoopin' with Hoops podcast, you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Just search Hoopin' with Hoops and Hoopin is spelled H-O-O-P-I-N is up on all those platforms. Break down a side total on every single college basketball game every single day. Greg, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for helping me out with this Wednesday night card. We certainly appreciate your segments, and we'll talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure. Thank you. There you go. There's Greg Peterson once again of VEASAN and the Hoopin with Hoops podcast at GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter. All right, we keep this college basketball train rolling down the tracks here as we bring on Wes Reynolds at Wes Reynolds, the number one on Twitter, regular contributor to VEASAN and the Point Spread Weekly Newsletter. Wes, how's it going today, man? Going well, Adam, man. And uh, in, in light of all the, uh, the all the times and all the different uh, events either being postponed or canceled or changed in terms of fans being able to be there or not be there, so... Uh, Look, that's what we do, man. We discuss the games on the board until they're canceled. Yeah, that's pretty much all we can do. And in fact, speaking of cancellations, you and I were talking for about 20 minutes before we actually hit the record button here. And just coming out a couple minutes before we started recording that the CBI has been canceled, which means that probably the CIT not far behind. And who knows, maybe even the NIT not that far behind. And Again, we're a sports betting show, as I talked about on yesterday's edition with Brian Blessing. So, I mean, look, those are some great betting opportunities coming off the board. And again, obviously, I understand that there are much larger implications nationally and worldwide with this. But, I mean, look, you know, those are postseason tournaments that you know, were pretty good betting opportunities for us. And if that's the start, I mean, I, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. God only knows what the rest of it looks like. Yeah, exactly. And that uh, CBI thing just came across the, uh, the wire about 15 minutes ago and 
CBI, look, they're all campus side games, much like the College Insider Tournament. And uh, pretty much the NIT until you get to that final four in New York City at Madison Square Garden. So, uh, look, it's just something new, it seems like, is breaking every hour on this thing. And we saw that the the MAC and the and the uh, Big West tournaments uh, were not going to allow spectators, only credentialed personnel with the various teams uh, uh, were, were going to be allowed at, at these events. So, yeah, things, things are changing rapidly. So just uh, keep attuned to the news, I guess, is all we can do. Well, and of course, as the news always is, it just seems to be bad news kind of everywhere. And, you know, San Francisco banning gatherings of more than a thousand people. That would obviously include Warriors games, but also we're 15 days away from opening day. So Major League Baseball, obviously big gatherings there with that, albeit open air, which is something we really haven't seen canceled yet outside of like South by Southwest or Coachella or something like that. But uh, again, I mean, like you said, all we can kind of do is, is talk about what's there in front of us and you know, maybe not necessarily speculate too much into the future, but I guess what's there in front of us for right now is the Big Ten Conference Tournament. Wisconsin, the number one seed, Michigan State, the two seed, and the favorite. Maryland, the three seed, they're the second favorite. Seeing Wisconsin take some money here because, quite frankly, their draw taking on Illinois and I or Illinois or Iowa in the quarter in the uh, you know semifinals probably the best of the top seeds here in this conference tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this I think that this Big Ten tournament actually is very wide open uh, when when you look at it because who would have thunk that uh, Wisconsin uh, was going to end up being the number one seed even though it was a three way share with uh, Michigan State Maryland. Uh, yeah, Greg Gard well deserved as the coach of the year to have uh, not only lose Ethan Happ, who we know when we look at these. Uh, different advanced metrics for college basketball is one of the most high usage players in all of college basketball last year. He graduates. Kobe King quits the team in January. And this is a Wisconsin team that didn't have anybody on the first or second team uh, in, in the, in the big 10 uh, conference, uh, all conference teams and still managed to uh, get a share of the title in the one seed. So, yeah, I think that this is, this is very wide open. Uh, The team that I, I actually bet on the future here. I got him at around 12 to one was Ohio state. Who's the seven seed. This was an Ohio state team and they're in the bottom half of the draw. So big 10 is one of those tournaments probably where you can maybe take one team in each end of the draw and, and see, and maybe hope that you get both there. Or you at least hope you can get both to the semifinals for perhaps a hedging opportunity to bet. I liked Ohio state simply because this was a team that was almost number one in the country. At one point, we're really knocking on the door at one point. Now you're getting them as a seven seed. I know that they lost to Michigan State on senior day, but they had won four in a row. They had all of a sudden gotten it together. Uh, They play very good defense, very well coached by Chris Holtman. So uh, that's the team I made a case for. But I've seen people make a case for Illinois. I skirted Illinois a little bit because I think that they're still a little young. And this is kind of a brave new world for them to uh, be a good team after they've been kind of struggling the last few years. Uh, Kind of the same with Michigan. Uh, First time Jawan Howard has coached in uh, this type of uh, tournament. So uh, uh, I went, I I didn't use them either, but a lot of people are going to gravitate to Michigan state because look, they've won a few in a row. This is Tom Izzo in March. How many times are we going to hear that? 
from, from people. So, uh, yeah, Ohio State was actually my choice here for this league. Yeah, you know, it's it's so tough because, again, like you said, there are so many teams that have a legitimate chance at winning this. And, I mean, Michigan, a team that's made runs from off the pace before. You know, you remember their run as a number eight seed, what was it, three years ago, I think? Um, yeah. You know, so they kind of have that reputation, but that was also with John Beeline. That was with a little bit of a different team. I think Michigan's in a tough spot. I, if they don't lose to Rutgers, I could very easily see them going down to Wisconsin. The team I took a chance on here is is actually Iowa. And I think mm-hmm. that... You know, money line rollover is probably a little bit well, not anymore. With their price getting pushed down a little bit, they were in the eight to one range. Now they're a little bit better than ten to one. Probably in line with where a money line rollover would fall with them. Maybe a little bit less than that. So maybe the money line rollover still the play there. But they're very good offensively. I know they're bad defensively, but they're very very good offensively. And I kind of like a high offensive ceiling in a wide open conference tournament like this. Now, it is tough to play that way for four games in four days. I totally get that. But I think Wisconsin is a weaker number one seed. They're not even top three in the conference in adjusted offensive or defensive efficiency. So I stay away from Michigan State, stay away from Maryland, stay away from Ohio State and Penn State. So I do like Iowa a little bit here. But something you mentioned is is very interesting to me. And I talked about this in the first segment with Brad Powers. When you're handicapping these conference tournaments, is it the full body of work? Is it the full body of work in conference play? Or is it the last, you know, two or three weeks to see how these teams are playing as they're going into the postseason that you really hone in on? Yeah, exactly. You're not really you're not really sure which because certain teams obviously peaked in November and December and uh, and haven't done so in, in February and March and, and also uh, vice versa. But yeah, uh, with the way that this is seeded, too, I mean, I've even seen people take flyers on Minnesota and Indiana. Now, that might be a little much considering they got to play the first night tonight. And essentially, if you're going to have to win this thing in Indianapolis, they're going to end up playing five straight games uh, just just to uh, win the tournament. You'd have to play four games before you get to the final. So it's so hard to take these teams. But look. Indiana and Minnesota have both beaten good, really good teams and top teams in, in this league. So, yeah, everybody's beat up on everybody. 14-6 and six was the uh, winning record here in, in, the, in the Big Ten in terms of the conference championship, that three-way tie up top. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I could totally sponsor, uh, going back to your point on Iowa, they're a really good shooting team. Uh, and they're the best offense in the conference. The defense, uh, not so much. But, look, teams get hot from the three in these things over a three-, four-day span. So uh, I could certainly sponsor Iowa in that. Uh, I went ahead and took Ohio State because, uh, uh, look, they're the best three-point shooting team in conference play. Uh, the defense has slipped a little bit. They don't give up a lot of rebounds. Uh, the defense has probably slipped a little bit because – of the depth issue. They still don't have DJ Carton back with the team. I don't think he's going to be back with them. So uh, that's what has slipped. But uh, this this is a wide open tournament. And, and I don't think you just necessarily want to go chalk here. Well, and as we look at this thing, you know, I, I don't think any of the bottom four seeds really have a run in them. I know Minnesota lost a ton of close games. They'd be the team, I guess, you'd kind of have to take a look at. They but- can maybe get to Friday or something or maybe somehow get to the semifinals on Saturday before they run out of gas. I could see 
both those scenarios being plausible for Minnesota or Indiana. I just can't see them winning five games. Right. Neither can I. So you've got the five through 10 seeds, you know, playing here in the second round. And that means four games in four days. And and this back-to-back format, unique two conference tournaments and also those early season showcase tournaments. What does that do for you in terms of game by game handicapping? Yeah. And I mean, from a future standpoint, it provides uh some hedging opportunities if, if I mean you obviously have to watch the play to see how it's gonna shake out but yeah usually what I like to do in these tournaments uh, I usually like especially in the first half now I don't do this blindly because you got to go uh, situation by situation and account for any injuries that pop up and, and whatnot and then obviously the circumstances of the games being played but Usually what I like to do, and you kind of saw it a little bit, I'll use the Mountain West as an example last week. Uh, Air Force has to play that first day against, uh, I believe it was uh, Fresno State. Air Force gets the win. So they're the eight seed uh, or the nine seed against San Diego State. And I played Air Force in the first half because San Diego State's that one seed that that has to play at 11.30, so it's an earlier tip-off. Uh, Air Force had played the early game the day before, and I like to play the team that played the day before, especially the first or second time. Now, as you get deeper in the tournament, that scenario really doesn't matter as much when you get to those semifinals and final rounds. But in that first and second round, playing against the rested team, especially in the first half, because the team that has played has already had to go through and play a game. And so they've already gotten their jitters out. Now these other, this other team they play that's rested has the first game jitters. And you often see a much more competitive first half at, at least, and, and more often than not, full game. All right, so let's take some time here and move over to the Big East because I want to make sure we got some time to talk to Players Championship here uh, down at TPC Sawgrass. But – the Big East is another one, man. I mean, it's just like the Big 12 in the sense that, you know, I don't think nine teams can win it, but I think six teams could conceivably win it. Maybe seven, depending on your view of Xavier. Creighton the favorite, but they're missing a really big piece now in Zegarowski. And in fact, Creighton may not be the favorite anymore out there at a lot of different places. Uh, you've got Villanova and Seton Hall that both tied for the regular season crown. Creighton got it based on tiebreakers. Uh, you've got a Butler team that's dangerous, a Providence team that came in playing as well as anybody. Ed Cooley getting his team back into the field with that late surge. Marquette, depending on your view of Miles Powell, may have the best player in the conference in Marcus Howard. Again, wide open at MSG. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I'll start with the top of the bracket. I think, look, with Zegarowski out, and he may be back for the NCAA tournament, that's what the... I guess the rumored prognosis is going to be, but he is going to miss the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden. So I think Creighton in that first game, they they win over the 8-9, which would be either St. John's or Georgetown, kind of that rally without your best one of your best players or one of your key guys in that first game. But this is obviously in this tournament, I think a very vulnerable number one seed. So I think that winner of the Butler-Providence game in the 5-4, good chance they're going to end up in the final in the Big East tournament, and I'm going to go with Butler to emerge from that. I know everybody's on Providence uh, in that spot because they did win six games in a row. This team on Valentine's Day, 13-12, and 6-6 six and six in the league, probably not in the NCAA tournament, and they rip off six in a row. But eventually, 
those streaks come to an end where you kind of hit that wall a little bit. And I think maybe Providence uh, does that in this spot. They split the season series. Actually, both road teams won in, uh, in the, the uh, pair of games with Butler and Providence. And look, Butler kind of hit a rough spell uh, starting mid-January and then kind of into the middle of February. But they did win their last three games. I know two of them were against DePaul and St. John's at home. But maybe they kind of found found their legs again. So uh, I took Butler uh, actually at about a plus 550 to win the Big East tournament. And then on the bottom half, uh, Seton Hall has, has, has been very good in this tournament. And when you got a big-time scorer like Powell, which uh, Mark Ed, of course, does with uh, Marcus Howard, uh, Seton Hall would be the team I'd be looking at at the bottom half of the draw, though. Yeah, I like Seton Hall at the bottom half, too, here. I think they're plus 340 out there at some places. You could probably find better. Make sure you shop around for the best prices, as always, here. I kind of like St. John's over Creighton. If St. John's beats Georgetown, St. John's highest turnover percentage on defense, lowest turnover percentage on offense. So they take good care of the basketball. They get extra possessions. They just don't shoot it very well. Creighton going to MSG, a place where it's very, very hard to shoot. I don't know how this tournament will be attended, given everything going on in the Big Apple here with coronavirus and everything else. That'll be kind of interesting to keep an eye on, but it's already a bad shooting environment anyway. So I kind of worry about that for Creighton, but I like Seton Hall here. I think Seton Hall, do they get a chance to wipe the slate clean? You know, they did Mm -hmm. not finish the regular season well. So now you kind of give them a little bit more incentive. I don't think Jay Wright needs to prove anything. I don't think Creighton's worried about proving anything without Zagorowski. I think that Seton Hall, you know, maybe kind of wants to win this thing. And that's not to say that, you know, that these teams want to lose. Obviously, you know, these teams want to win any banner that they can. I think Seton Hall is just maybe a little bit more motivated than everything else. Not to mention Villanova does not get much from their bench at all whatsoever. So if I'm Jay Wright and I don't have to play three games in three days, I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, exactly. Because that's kind of the, the what what works out. Look, you, I mean, these conference tournaments provide you the opportunity to get a trophy and provide you the opportunity to get a championship. And obviously that matters in bonuses for coaches, contracts and whatnot. So these guys want to win these things, but sometimes they can work against you because all of a sudden uh, you win a conference tournament. Usually those are teams in the NCAA tournament, at least more often than not, it's going to depend on the draw and the individual games and scenarios. But more often than not, I kind of want to go against those teams that have had to play four and five games to win a conference tournament and then have to turn around, especially if they got to play on Thursday and their conference tournaments end Saturday or Sunday. So you know, it's still a pretty quick turnaround, even when you have four or five days in between. And and some of these teams can just run out of gas at the end of the season. Especially if you get sent a long way from home. You know, right. if you're in the Big East, you get sent to California or you get sent to Spokane or, you know, Salt Lake City or, or something like that. You know, I don't know where all the regionals are being held, but just using those as an example where maybe you go play in elevation or maybe you go play three time zones away or something like that that's still tricky and and, you know obviously now you've got all the travel considerations with coronavirus and you know people having different worry levels about that and and all that type of thing but yeah I mean there are a lot of things that go into these conference tournaments into the minds of these coaches as well to where you know maybe Villanova is in a close game with Seton Hall and 
Maybe they don't play their regular guys 38 minutes or something like that. You know, that could have an impact on how these conference tournaments wind up going. But one last quick point I wanted to make here. I know we kind of started sort of doom and gloom uh, with the cancellation of the CBI. That's not actually run by the NCAA. So maybe this one's kind of a different type of animal. And also, too, a lot of financial considerations with that because these teams kind of have to pay their own way to travel. It's sparsely attended anyway. But still, it, it's still, you know, maybe a gateway into other things being canceled. Maybe the NIT does go on as planned, but maybe something like the CIT doesn't, where these teams don't really sell their allotment of tickets usually anyway. Right. The 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 NIT is owned by the NCAA now. So uh, I would think that, that that's going to continue to go on. The uh, Giselle Group owns the CBI, and then uh, I forget, uh, College Insider uh, runs the uh, College Insider Tournament. So... Those games are all campus site games, uh, much like the NIT games are until you get to uh, New York City and Madison Square Garden for the semifinals and the eventual championship game. So, yeah, a lot of this is probably, look, you can't really conduct it. Uh, that's why I'm surprised the CBI did it so early because you can't really conduct it with campuses because different universities right now have different restrictions for this coronavirus. Some of them are business as usual. Some of them are uh, are doing uh, online or, or remote type of classes with the technology that we have now today. So, uh, yeah, it's very hard to consult with all these schools because you don't know which, which schools yet are going to be in these tournaments. And the thing that's crazy to me, and again, uh, you and I talked about this before we started recording here, you know, the MAC tournament being played in an empty arena in Cleveland on Sunday in Cleveland the minor league hockey team plays an afternoon game. And as of now, everything is on as scheduled with fans in attendance and all that. So nobody can attend the Mac tournament for three days, but then Sunday it's okay for everyone to go to this minor league hockey game. It's just, it's, it's very crazy confusing. what's being canceled and what isn't and where fans can show up and where they can't. And to me, sort of reading between the lines a little bit, knowing that Cleveland hosts a regional next week for March Madness, you, you can't have an empty building for one NCAA event and then a building full of fans for another. Right. So I don't know how all of this is going to play out, but man, this is going to be crazy for the NCAA tournament. We'll be able to talk about this next week with Wes when we have some more clarity on it, but just, you know, the first four could have to be moved out of Dayton. Um, it, it's, you know, you got to play everything by ear. And the problem is from a betting standpoint, again, this creates so much uncertainty that, you know, you think about the Big 12 tournament, for example, that we talked about in the first segment with Brad Powers. Like, are Kansas fans literally going to be the only ones that go because it's a short drive from Lawrence? I mean, how many points of home court is that worth all of a sudden for Kansas? You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy to figure all this stuff out in a betting context. Yeah, and you could say the same thing for Kentucky, who's usually right. the best traveler in the SEC, whether that thing's in Atlanta or Nashville or New Orleans or wherever. So, uh that could certainly apply there as well. And and it's tough for us. It's, it's you know, tough for the odds makers too. I mean, the nice thing is they can kind of put up a line and, you know, just react to what the market does. But, I mean, this level of uncertainty, and, and it's tough too because, you know, by and large, as betters and handicappers, uncertainty, chaos, variance are all really good things for us because if we've got a pretty good idea of what we think is going to happen and we're playing into, a, you know, an uncertain market, a lot of times you get some good value out of that, but I mean, this is just, this is largely unprecedented for, 
you know, for the sports betting industry. And especially now with 16 states, Michigan today, Illinois just got it on Monday with 16 states taking bets now. I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's almost kind of overwhelming. And, and you know, again, we talk about you know paralysis by overanalysis and all that. Maybe we're all thinking too much about everything that's going on and, and we're going to wind up missing some stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everybody, uh, because there's no real uniform standard for something like this. So, I mean, certain people are going to do different things, not allowing spectators. Certain people are going to cancel events, certain events, the show must go on. So yeah, they're, they're, that, that's what makes it really weird and, 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 and provides another yet unique challenge to us as betters is because different scenarios are going to happen here. So, uh, the, the unknown, I mean, look, the betting market is like the stock market. The market often hates uncertainty. And uh, that's really what we have going forward. All right. So let's talk about the Players' Championship here down at TPC Sawgrass and everything pretty much business as usual here. Obviously, there are some golf considerations further down the line, too, where, you know, we don't know if events will be played, won't be played, whatever. But this one is going on as scheduled, at least as of now. Rory's your seven to one favorite. Rom the second favorite, ten to one. Justin Thomas in the twelve to one range. Deshambo fifteen or so. Seen a little bit of love for Dustin Johnson this week. His price has come down. Patrick Cantlay, who I like, his price has come down from twenty-five to eighteen or so. A lot of prices coming down for the bigger name players here this week. Yeah, which 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 does kind of uh, surprise me a little bit because this has been kind of a, a hit or miss tournament for. For, for top players uh, was looking at some of the, uh, the uh, statistics and like little trends and little nuggets about this tournament. Rory McIlroy comes in as the defending champion and he's the rightful favorite. He's got a top five streaker better in every event that he's played since uh, early October. So it feels like he's going to get one pretty soon just because of who he is and how well he's been playing. But he was the uh, defending champion, as I mentioned last year. No defending champion since Adam Scott back in 2005 has finished in the top 10 the following year at the Players' Championship, which I thought was really interesting. And then going through <clears throat> the different, uh, usually most weeks on PGA Tour, you could find horses for courses and guys with really good course form that maybe are, are, are almost do a win, maybe guys that have, well, he's been in the top 10 four times in the last five years here. Well, you could see that a player likes a certain course. But with this one, you've got ones that win and then miss the cut three of five years. So, so that's what makes this event a little bit more random and a little bit more of a crapshoot to handicap. So as far as the types of players you were looking for, it's tough. I mean, bombers have won this. Technical guys have won this. Shorter hitters that just play fairways and greens have won this. What, what are you, I mean, did you lock in on a certain type of player or are you just spread kind of all across the skill sets? Yeah, I, I spread it around a little bit because this is a Pete Dye course, uh, design course, the late Pete Dye. And uh, yeah, it, it tests all different forms of your game. So you've seen the big hitters, but you've seen the Tim Clarks and the Fred Funks win here too. Usually it's going to be a player of some class and not, you know, some random guy at the bottom, even though we saw Siwoo Kim win at 250 to one a couple years ago. But uh, a lot of major champions and future major champions have won here. So uh, 
Yeah, I, 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 I mean, if you look at the guys that I played this week, all different kind of players. Uh, I played uh, DeChambeau at around 25 to 1 as my shortest price I played here. Leads the tour in driving distance. He's kind of uh, really worked on uh, the length here, and it's paid off. He's leading the tour in distance. Uh, you know, a big hitting guy that can shape some shots. And uh, so I had him on there. And plus, that was a lot of a recent form play. This is a guy with three top fives in the last four weeks. So he looks like he's about ready to knock the door down uh, for his next win. Uh, Gary Woodland, this is kind of a club down type of course uh, uh, where, where you can go usually one club down in terms of uh, reaching greens and whatnot. You don't have to necessarily have driver on every hole. It's just under 7,200 yards. Uh, Gary Woodland, who's seen as, as a big hitter, but really the strength of his game is ball striking. Uh, hasn't won since the U.S. Open. Hasn't played badly but hasn't really been knocking down the door of of another win yet. And sometimes maybe you get in a little bit of that after you break through and win something big like your first major like you did at the U.S. Open. But I played him at 60-1. to Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, not a very big hitter, but a very good ball striker and and usually a pretty solid putter. Uh, I played him at 70-1. Fitzpatrick actually was the only player – Keep in mind, 69 players made the cut at Bay Hill, so there's 138 rounds on Saturday and Sunday combined with all those players. Fitzpatrick was the only player at Bay Hill to shoot a round in the 60s, one out of 138, and uh, he's got a 69 on Sunday. So he's been flush in the ball lately, and I think uh, you know he was just a guy I felt I had to have on the card. Uh, uh, Daniel Berger played at 75 to one, three straight top tens. He likes these Bermuda greens that are kind of overseeded with rye that take a, or bent grass rather that take a little a bit of the graininess and make them smoother putting surfaces. So I used him, uh, Abraham Answer, a guy that was respectable here on debut last year. Uh, uh, I played him at eighty to one, and then a couple guys in the ninety to a hundred to one range. Uh, a couple European veterans, Sergio Garcia, former winner here, two-time runner-up. Uh, made 16 straight cuts here. He's about the closest guy to a course form guy as you get at Sawgrass because he's made 16 straight cuts here. So I thought he was a big enough price. And uh, the shame with Shane Lowry, who uh, the defending open champion uh, now finally over that hangover, as he calls it, uh, that probably lasted about two or three months to win the, the biggest championship that a European player can win, but been consistent. Uh, you know, finishing top 20s, top 30s, and in his starts here. So, looks like he's starting to find something. Uh, and uh, I thought Lowry was decent value down the board. Yeah, I like Woodland this week, too. Uh, Brian Blessing mentioned Fitzpatrick on yesterday's show. Also mentioned, I think he's got Fitzpatrick for the Masters as well. Uh, at a pretty good price, too. So, you know, some guys that we're kind of hearing about a couple of different times here this week on Bang the Book Radio for the Players' Championship. Hopefully, we wind up getting another one here. Uh, like we got Terrell Hatton last week, but Wes Reynolds is working to find on Twitter at Wes Reynolds on the number one and hear him on VEASAN. Uh, Wes, I, I'm sure it's a very busy schedule. We didn't talk XFL. I know you're still covering that for them. And uh, obviously all this March Madness stuff going on too. Yeah. Uh, uh, usually the normal times will be back on uh, Friday night, six to 10 Pacific. Uh, we have the uh, XFL betcast, which you can go to VEASAN.com for the information uh, and the scoop on that. And then, 
Sunday, we're doing some different programming uh, all day with the brackets being announced uh, on Sunday. So I will be on uh, the edge with Matt Humans and Jeff Parles uh, from uh, 7 to 9 Pacific. Uh, and that's once, you know, the brackets have already been out. And then, uh, you know, the NIT presumably uh, will we'll be out at, at that point, too. So we'll be talking games and talking seedings probably more so than uh, the teams that got left out because every year you can make an argument for a team that got left out that should have been in. But usually I think the committee gets it right uh, on the selection of teams, maybe not so much with the seedings, but we'll be talking about that. So uh, we'll be all over it all over the weekend. Well, like I said, make sure you follow Wes on Twitter at Wes Reynolds and the number one. Wes, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me and we'll talk to you again next week. Adam, always a pleasure, sir. There you go. There's Wes Reynolds. Once again, you can hear him on VSIN, see him in that Point Spread Weekly newsletter, and follow him on Twitter at Wes Reynolds and the number one. Coming up on our Thursday edition of Bang the Book Radio, well, we're not having one, but I am going to do the Betters Box, my MLB betting podcast. Going to try to get that out early on Thursday here. And then no show on Friday this week with all the conference tournament stuff going on. Next week, we're going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday again. Betters Box Thursday, well before the first round of March Madness starts. And then no show on Friday. And we'll see what we're going to do there for that last week of the month of March. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow with the Betters Box. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.